it's uh, it's still a bit strange for me to be standing up here at the Ambo and, and preaching a homily to you during Mass. Um, that's just weird. It's still new to me. Uh, and for some reason, this feels different than preaching at the parish, um, not just because it's a smaller, more intimate space, but I think it's because I know most of you a lot better. Um, and I have more regular opportunities to talk with you about the faith all the time uh, outside of Mass. But this is different. Preaching within the context of Mass is still quite new to me, and I'm adjusting to it. And I appreciate the, father, the opportunity that Father um, has given me to preach to you today for this last Mass of the school year. For uh, some of you, the last Mass of your academic career here at Western. That's kind of a weighty responsibility, and so I was asking myself, what do I want to say to them? What do I want to say at their last Mass here? What message do I want to convey? What should I tell you? And the answer is nothing. <laughs> I shouldn't tell you anything, because you're not here to listen to me. I hope you're not here to listen to me. If you are, then you're here for the wrong reason. I know you don't come to Mass to hear what the priest or the deacon has to say in the homily. And I hope you don't come to the Wednesday dinners because we offer free food. And I hope you don't come on our fall retreat because you like going to the beach. And I hope, too, that you don't just come to CCM because you want to make good friends. Please don't get me wrong. I know home-cooked food and sunsets on the beach and good friendships are all really good things. And maybe my preaching rakes in there, you know, somewhere in there with them. I don't know, but I doubt it. But my point is that none of these things should be the primary reasons why you participate in campus ministry. And if you've been here for four years, and the only reason that you've come to anything that we've offered is for the food and the friends and maybe a few trips to the beach, then I haven't really done my job. And your time here, I hate to say it, will have been a waste because it's not about that. There's only one reason why this ministry even exists here on campus, and that's to bring Christ to this campus. So the friends that you make here, the good fellowship, the dinners, the beach trips, those are all good, but they're all secondary benefits. They're here to direct you to the source of all goodness, God himself. And so likewise, you shouldn't come here to Mass because you like the preaching or you like the choir or the sacred art or the cookies that we serve after Mass. Right? You come to Mass to encounter Christ. So again, it's not about what I want to say to you on this final Sunday of the year. It's about what Jesus wants to say to you. And here's what Jesus is telling you. As a father loves me, so also I love you. As the Father loves me. Why does Jesus preface it that way? Why doesn't he just say, I love you? He says, as the Father loves me, so I love you. He's talking about the love that God the Father, the first person of the Holy Trinity, has for God the Son, the second person of the Holy Trinity. This is a love that's so strong, that's so complete, and so life-giving that it generates another divine person, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Holy Trinity. 
This is love on a scale that's incomprehensible to the human mind. And I don't want to get too deep into Trinitarian theology for you because I know your brains are all full from you know, studying for exams and things, but theologians speak of the love that's shared by the three divine persons as mutual indwelling. It's a way of talking about what Jesus means when he says, I am in my Father and my Father is in me. Right? Each person of the Trinity gives himself completely to the other two persons of the Trinity so that he literally lives within them. And then at the same time, they're giving themselves in the very same way to that person so that they live within him. So each divine person is pouring himself out into the other two and receiving the gift of the other two, sharing their existence so completely that they are literally one being. St. John summed up the divine life in just three words. God is love. That's the love that the Father has for the Son. It's nothing short of the divine life itself. And Jesus says that that love, the love that the Father has for him, that's the love that he has for you. Do you have any idea how much you're loved. I don't think that you do. I don't think that any of us really do. So having said that, next Jesus says, remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love. Note that he doesn't say, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Right? Or I will love you only if you keep my commandments. Jesus has already told us, that he loves us more than we can possibly comprehend. So his love is not conditional. That's not what he says here. It's up to us to decide whether or not we want to participate in that love that he offers. And he says that we do this by keeping his commandments. Now again, I don't want to go too deep into moral theology on the last Sunday of the semester. But I do want to say this. What Jesus says here is a great key to understanding all the Catholic teachings about the moral life. It tells us that the commandments aren't arbitrary rules that are given to us by a divine dictator. And they aren't some test that we have to pass in order to be judged good enough for heaven. What they are is lessons in how to love like God loves. That's the primary purpose of all of God's commands, to teach us how to love the way that God loves. Remember that anytime you find yourself struggling with obeying any one of the church's moral teachings, that they're all lessons in love. And then Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you. Now I've already talked about how much Jesus loves us with all that fiery divine love of the Holy Trinity. And now he wants to love each other that same way. That's a tall order. Because I don't know about you, I can't love as much as God loves. It's impossible. You can't either. We're not God. We're small and we're limited and we're selfish little creatures. But God enables us to love beyond our capability. He forgives us when we fail to love others the way that we should. And he wants us to do the same thing to others, to forgive them when they fail to love us the way that they should. 
God's command to love one another is nothing other than an invitation for us to participate in the life of God who is love. Those of you who are on retreat with me, was that last weekend? Seems like a long time ago. Uh, They were on retreat with me last weekend. I spoke there about how we all have a universal call to holiness. Well, to be holy is to be like God, and God is love. So another way of saying this is that we all have a universal vocation to love. St. Therese of Lisieux calls love the vocation which includes all others. It's a universe of its own, she says, comprising all time and space. It's eternal. And you have been chosen for this life. Jesus says, it was not you who chose me, but I who chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit that will remain. Jesus chose you. And he expects great things of you. Your lives should bear fruit. Your time here on campus should bear fruit. Your careers and your friendships and your family life should all bear fruit. Not fruit for this world in the form of material gains, but fruit for the kingdom in the form of an increase of God's love in the world. God's love exists in the world today through the lives of those whom he loves, sharing that love with others. That's a lot of information packed in just a few sentences. But Jesus says, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Jesus does not impose this vocation of love on you as a burden. Jesus wants you to be happy. In fact, what he wants for you is nothing short of total and complete joy, which is why he humbled himself to share in our humanity so that he might take you with him to share in his divinity. It's true, you'll have to go through the cross to get there, just like Jesus did. But he will help you carry it, comforting you along the way. Just as it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to die, it will be necessary for us to have our sorrows. But the end of it all is joy, which is why even in the midst of trials, Christians are joyful people. For some of you, I know that the end of the year or the end of your time here at Western comes as a trial. This can be a time filled with anxiety and a little bit of trepidation, especially if you don't know exactly what's waiting for you in the world out there post-college. And for some of you, it comes as a joy. I know a lot of you are ready to get out of here. (laughs) And for most of you, probably a little bit of both. But Jesus' message for all of you is the same. You are loved more than you can ever possibly know. Love each other just as hard as you can, and your joy will be complete.